Good evening, Mosaic family. We're glad to see you here. We had a blast last weekend at the family picnic. And I, we're gonna stand and worship our King Jesus and focus our eyes on him. So let's see.
Hey, Mosaic. Sorry for the awkward transition there. Um, hey, my name is Kyle Jackson, and we are going to um, start the service a little differently tonight. I'm the worship leader here, um, and I just want to welcome you. If you're new to Mosaic, we're glad to have you here. Uh, we had an awesome time last week at our uh, family picnic gathering. It was a blast. We had some great tacos on the lawn, some great worship. We had a huge children's choir. So if you're new here, we just want to let you know what you missed out on last week. Um, just kidding. Uh, hey, tonight we are going to start off our service with a little bit of time of lament. Um, we mentioned it a little bit last week to kind of prepare you, but we think it's a very important part of our culture, a part of our um, who we are as a church to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. And um, I just want to invite you to posture yourself to lament tonight. Um, there are four basic elements to kind of in my, 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 my search to understand what lament is that I've kind of discovered. And here's the first part. Um, and it's, we, we have to look to turn to God in prayer. And the reason that we're, this is even kind of sparking some of our staff is um, we were kind of moved by a lot of what's happening in, in our nation with um, a lot of uh, just kind of tragedy. Uh, so we, we, uh, we find it very important to look to God in prayer. And we're, we're going to look at Psalm 77 to start off our time of lament tonight. This is a psalm, and one of the most important things that we learn through the psalmist is that lament is a way to experience joy. It's a way to be honest before Jesus with every thought that we have, every feeling that we have. So I want you to notice how David tells the truth here. So I want to encourage you to tell the truth to God right now. This is his words. I yell out to my God. I yell out with all my might. I yell at the top of my lungs and he listens. I found myself in trouble and went looking for my Lord. My life was an open wound that wouldn't heal. My friends said, everything will turn out all right. And I didn't believe what they said. I remember God and I shake my head. I bow my head and wring my hands. I'm awake all night, not a wink of sleep. I can't even say what's bothering me. I go, over, I go over the days one by one. I ponder the years gone by. I strum my lute through all the night, wondering how to get my life together. Will the Lord walk off and leave us for good? Will he never smile again? Is his love worn and threadbare? Has, has his salvation promise burned out? Has God forgotten his manners? Has he angrily stalked off and left us? Just my luck, I said. The high God goes out of business in just the moment I need him. Once again, I'll go over what God has done. Lay out on the table the ancient wonders. I'll ponder all the things you've accomplished and give a long, loving look at your acts. So for our prayer pause tonight, we're gonna look at God as the wonderful counselor. And I wanna encourage you now to go to our wonderful counselor and tell him the truth. And I just wanna give you a minute to bring your complaint to our Father. So what are your complaints that you have about life right now. So let's process and let's go to the Lord.
to continue our, our time with the Lord now. Uh, we have a, another great option as we work through this lamenting process. We have to ask boldly. What can you boldly ask God to do with your complaints that you just brought before him? If you could tell him anything, what would you tell him? What would you ask him to do? I'll give you some time to process with the Lord. And this brings us to the fourth and final element of what it means to lament. And probably one of the hardest, it's choosing to trust or praise. How can you still praise Jesus in the midst of this grief and sorrow? And um, here's what David says in his Psalm. And this is right after he just got done complaining. Oh God, your way is holy. No God is great like God. You're the God who makes things happen. You showed everyone what you can do. You pulled your people out of the worst kind of trouble and rescued the children of Jacob and Joseph. The ocean saw you in action, God. It saw you and it trembled with fear. The deep ocean was scared to death. Clouds belched out buckets of rain. The sky exploded with thunder your arrows flashing this way and that way. From whirlwind came your thundering voice. Lightning exposed the world. The earth reeled and rocked. You strode right through the ocean, walked straight through the roaring ocean, but nobody saw you come or go hidden in the hands of Moses and Aaron. You led your people like a flock of sheep. So I just wanna encourage you in this moment now, how, are you, how can you praise the Lord in the midst of grief and sorrow? I think oftentimes we don't think we can hold the same two things in the same hand and we, we can. This is a very important part of learning how to feel grief and sorrow so that we can ultimately experience the true joy that Jesus brings to us. So would you take a moment to process that either with a neighbor, if you feel comfortable or with the Lord uh, yourself, just choosing to trust or praise, how would you do that? God, we turn to you now in prayer as a congregation, Lord. What a gift it is to be able to do this as a, as a, a large body of people. Lord, we bring our complaints before you. Lord, we're hurting with those who are hurting. Lord, with the communities that have faced huge tragedy, this, especially this past month, Lord, we are hurting with them. 
So Lord, would you be with those people? Would their presence be real to you, Father? Would your presence be their guide as they go, Lord, in the midst of tragedy? And oh, Father, you are holy. So the last thing we need to do is just to trust, Father. Our hands are open to what you have to do here and now in this world. We love you, God. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Church, would you stand and worship with us as we continue?
tonight. If you do, let's sing together. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so continue in our worship, would you just take a moment to read through our offering prayer tonight? shout your praise.
Join me as I read the scripture for tonight over you. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. And the people said together, this is the word of the Lord. This summer, we are in the midst of what has been a unique and very practical series on the Gospels of John. You know, so often when we go through our Gospels, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and, and that's great. But um, this summer, we're looking at three sets of unique episodes in the ministry of our Lord. So we've looked at the seven I am's. And now we're in the middle of looking at the seven miracles, and then we're going to move on to seven individual encounters. Tonight we're on the fifth miracle, which is Jesus walking on water. And for the past several weeks, as I've been preparing for my teaching tonight, I've had kind of a special prayer. I've asked God to maybe, in addition to your getting some great information, I think you'll have some insights tonight. Uh, about John's account of this miracle and about Christ walking on water, some good information. And in addition to having some inspiration, I think you'll find some encouragement tonight. That in addition to the information and inspiration, that the Holy Spirit might maybe have a word for you for some specific application, some way that you can take this truth or a part of this truth and as you leave here tonight, apply it. That you might even sense the Holy Spirit saying, this law is for you. Uh, this passage is for you. This, this is something that you can use throughout the week. I spent much of my early years as a Christian and um, memorized hundreds of Bible verses, seminary, acquiring information. And I had all kinds of information. And I had great inspiration. But it's not until we know how to apply what we hear that transformation takes place. And the Word is about, and the Holy Spirit's about, helping us change and grow and experience more joy, His joy. Uh, you see, what Jesus taught, what John recorded was written to us and for us. And let's take another look at the purpose of John's Gospel. Jesus performed many other signs, so he did a bunch of other stuff in the presence of his disciples, which aren't recorded in this book. But these have been written. These were selected by the Holy Spirit that you may believe, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, that word believe is, is very, very important. There are two kinds of believing. There's head knowledge and heart knowledge. There's acquisition of information. I, I believe is proposition. But then there's application where we kind of put our life into it. In fact, the best illustration I ever heard, I, I heard when I was in junior high. And I went and stretched it out. And 
from all I could tell, it's true, but that doesn't really matter. It's sort of a great illustration. Uh, apparently, in the late 18th, early 1900s, turn of the century, there was a world-famous tightrope walker, and he walked across Niagara Falls. And uh, there were about 20, 25,000 people there, big deal. And so at first he walks across on the tightrope, and then he walks across blindfolded. And then he uh, rode a bicycle across. Then he rode a unicycle, and then he got a wheelbarrow, and, and apparently put a, a, some rocks and stuff in it, and he wheeled the wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls. And then he came to the edge, and he said, how many of you believe that I can put someone in this wheelbarrow and wheel them across? And thousands of hands went up. They're going crazy. Yeah, yeah, you can do that. And then he said, who wants to volunteer? Every hand went down, except for one, a small boy whose parents had no idea where he was at. Big mistake, okay? And so he gets in the boat, and sure enough, this French world-famous tightrope walker wheels him across Niagara Falls. How many people believed? How many said they believed? I mean, we have all kinds of believers, but only one got into the wheelbarrow, and that was the one who believed. In Ephesians 3.19, Paul says, I would like for you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What Paul is saying, I want you to know heart knowledge. I want you to experience it, his love that surpasses mere acquisition of information. And so this is why John wrote the gospel, my friends, so you and I might believe that what is written has relevance. Because we've all come in here tonight with some concerns, some anxieties. Some of you may not be sure why you're here tonight. Many of us have had some losses, some discouragements. We all have fears. We all have anxieties. We all get discouraged. We've all come here tonight with needs. And good information is nice. Some inspiration, yeah, I mean, we've already had that. I could just sit about 15, 20 minutes after the worship time and just enjoy it and sense God's presence. But I think maybe he might have some more for us tonight. Now, whenever I'm asked to teach, by the way, um, one of the things I learned again back in seminary, for the first uh, seven to 14 days, I'll take the passage and I'll read it every day from about four or five different translations. So, King James, New American Standard, NIV, uh, the Living New Testament, the Living Bible. I use a paraphrase like uh, the message. And I find that as I read it several times a day for a week or two, I kind of gain a new aha, a new insight. In fact, if you like a way to kind of revitalize your time in the world, you might give that a try. Then my second step, I'll go to some commentaries. Because there are some folks who have spent 15, 20, 30 years studying the Gospels of John. And then, if it's a Gospel, I always check out the three other Gospels. Because the four Gospels inform and they enlighten each other. In fact, the same event can have a different emphasis in a different Gospel. So, tonight's miracle number five is in three different Gospels written by three eyewitnesses. So, it's in Matthew 14, and Matthew has 12 verses, his is the longest, and actually he includes Peter walking on the water, which the other two don't. Mark 6 has eight verses, and John 16 has seven verses. You see, a different gospel account can have a different emphasis. A, a different miracle story can have a different emphasis. That's why there are four gospels. Feeding the 5,000, okay, the emphasis is on Christ's power over matter. But walking on water, the emphasis on Christ's power over nature. Feeding the 5,000, the emphasis on the impact on the crowds. Walking on water, the emphasis is on the impact on the disciples. Now, in this fifth miracle, and this is kind of cool, context and geography are especially important, more so than most. Context is when it happened, Geography is where it happened. So 
the context is Jesus had taken five loaves, two fishes. I mean, that might not have been enough to, to feed the disciples of Jesus. And he feeds 5,000 men. And Bible scholars say that when you include women and children, easily probably 10,000 more, but 5,000, 5, it's a long day. And then, in fact, they picked up 12 baskets full. In fact, let's jump into verse 15. Jesus, so the feeding things over. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again. He'd done that before to a mountain by himself. You see, they wanted to make him king. Okay? I mean, what a great church growth opportunity. You can build your congregation by 5,000. You could have a satellite maybe down in southern Israel. I mean, if you want to, you know, grow a, a church, this is it. But they wanted him king for the wrong reasons. And Jesus didn't buy the bigger is always better. The more is always better emphasis. Jesus knew that he needed to be alone with the Father. And this is one thing that hit me again as I read this. Here is God the Son. He's done this great miracle. And one of the first things he does is he needs to go withdraw and spend time with the Father in some solitude, in silence, kind of maybe listening to him and waiting on him. So verse 16, when evening came, the disciples went down to the lake. Evening, this is probably now shortly before sunset. Went down to the lake, and here's where geography comes in. You see, Lake Galilee, or the Sea of Galilee, is surrounded by hills. And the lake is a cup-like depression surrounded by hills, and actually, it's about 7,000 feet below sea level. So the Sea of Galilee is the lowest freshwater lake in the world. So here we have this context. Here we have this scene. In fact, let's look at a map uh, of this area. Uh, because uh, we have this, they get in the boat. They set off across the lake for Capernaum. And uh, if you look at the map, uh, you see that there's feeding the 5,000. They were supposed to go up to Capernaum, but they ended up in Genesaret. And right there is probably where the miracle happened. Because uh, Mark says that immediately after the miracle, Christ said, guys, get in the boat. You go to Capernaum, I'll catch up with you. And they set off across the lake. So while uh, they were supposed to go to Capernaum, but now they're halfway across the lake in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And when you understand the geography, when you have these strong winds coming down, the winds are blowing right where they're trying to go. And so as you can see from the map, they got way off course. The passage continues, by now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. Then Christ went up to a mountain to pray again. Verse 19, a strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. So again, when the sun sets, the cooler air from the west rushes down the hillsides, churns the water up. So here's the scene, guys, of, of what we're about to look at. They're in a the boat. They're in the water, in the middle of the lake, in a bad storm, and it's really, really dark. And where was Jesus? Has there ever been a time in your life when you felt like you were kind of in a boat? And you were surrounded by waves, by wind, by troubles, by concern, by anxiety? by transition, by bills, by a bad diagnosis, by a loss. And it was really, really dark and really, really discouraging. And you weren't aware of Jesus. Where was Jesus? I've been there more than once. Some of you have been too. And here's the amazing thing. When we're in the middle of a storm, and when we have no idea where he is, he's there. The good news is he can't not be there. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, though I'm with you always. You're precious in my sight, and their promises go on and on. And sometimes I think in my life, and I've read a lot of other folks who sometimes when we aren't aware of his presence, he just might be there in more ways 
than we could imagine and than he might be in, in other times. He can't leave us alone. But in those dark times, it's hard for our hands to go down and to say, no, I, I, I'm not going to get in a wheelbarrow. I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to trust. I'm not going to sing your promises. I'm not going to listen to your spirit. I'm going to choose to believe my what ifs and my fears and my anxieties and my doubts. I'm going to choose to wallow in that stuff rather than believe what, what you have clearly told me again and again in your word. Hmm. Verse 19. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. Now, now, Matthew tells us it was about the fourth watch of the night. So guys, this is happening about 3 a.m. And since the disciples were rowing to Capernaum, they were, again, in the wrong place. Let's look at the map again. So Christ says, you guys go up to Capernaum. I'll meet you there. I'll catch up with you. And, um, but in fact, they're not even sure where they're at at this time. They see someone walking on water, and they were afraid. And the word afraid there is better uh, translated terrified. I can be afraid of something, but terror Okay, physiologically, psychologically, can just shut us down. It can shut us down. With just kind of regular fear, we can kind of move around. But when I have terror, it almost immobilizes us. And so the text says they were terrified. And Mark tells us, Mark adds that they were afraid because they thought they were seeing a ghost. But John's emphasis is not on why they were afraid. Okay. John's emphasis, in, you know, Matthew, here's why they were afraid. John's emphasis is on how Jesus helped them, how Jesus showed up in the midst of that fear and uncertainty and feeling very, very alone. What sets you up? What makes you more vulnerable to fear, to being wounded, to having your feelings hurt? wondering, you know, is this Jesus thing really real? I mean, we go to church and we have a spiritual pep rally and, you know, I hear people talk and, and uh, but when the river meets the road, can I trust him? Is he a promise keeper or is he just a promise maker? And I'll tell you, sometimes in the midst of anxiety and loneliness and betrayal, boy, sometimes I have wondered, God, I know you say you're here, but where are you? And time and time again, I'll sense him saying, you know, dearie, even though you can't see me, I'm within you, I'm before you, I'm around you, I'm over you, you're part of my family. You belong to me. You're part of the body. I can't leave you. And right now, your job it's just to stay in the wheelbarrow. You see, he's always showed up. He always will. He can't not show up. But sometimes he gives us unique growth opportunities. Quite frankly, I wish he would stop it. <laughs> but, you know, he's God. I'm not. Okay? So I, um, yeah. Again, what, what sets you up? Too busy? I find I'm more vulnerable when I'm tired, when I'm too busy doing good stuff, when I let myself kind of go into what-if lands. You know, what-ifs are always negative. What if this happens, and what if that happens? And boy, when I start what-ifing all over myself, I mean, I'm hopeless, I'm helpless, life, life massively, uh, yeah. But we all have things that set us up and make us more vulnerable. So let's summarize the context, okay, before we move on, and, and it gets more exciting. Here's the context. Here is the emotional state of the disciples. They've had a long day of ministry. They've fed well over 5,000 people. They've rolled all night against heavy winds. They've missed a night of sleep. It was still dark, probably around 4 a.m. by now, 3, 4 a.m. 
They should have been to Capernaum probably three or four hours ago. But they're still out there somewhere in the middle of the lake. They felt isolated, alone. They feared for their lives. And a thought came to mind, and I've read this passage tons of times, but sometimes when we get tired and weary, it's easy to stop rowing. To stop rowing, huh? They kind of give up. It's hopeless. It's helpless. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I, I think I'll eat some worms. Uh, you know, like Alexander's terrible, awful, horrible, no good, very bad day, okay? Yeah. And that old song, nobody knows the trouble that I've seen. And sometimes those moments are real. But again, my friends, Jesus knows where we're at. And if you've come here tonight, and you're kind of emotionally where the disciples were in this passage, he's here with you. He's here around you. If you've asked him in your heart, the Holy Spirit dwells you. And all the promises that he's given apply to you and me. Verse 20, okay. But he said to them, it's I. Don't be afraid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've had a terrible, awful, horrible, lousy day. It's 3 a.m. And this thing appears on the water. Hey, don't worry, guys. It's just me. Remember, I did this a week ago. This never happened. And so uh, they're obviously very, very concerned. And, and <clears throat> both Matthew and Mark as the fact that Jesus said, take courage. So first he said, take courage. And then it says, I don't be afraid. You see, courage doesn't just happen. I just don't magically feel, wow, whoo, Boy, I feel courageous now. I feel buffed for Jesus, man. I'm... Let's go for it. Go Big J. Go Big J. You know? <laughs> courage doesn't happen. We choose courage. We take courage. It's a choice that says, God, right now, I don't feel jack. I don't feel anything, but I know who I am because you've told me who I am. I know who you are. I know you're trustworthy. And I choose to believe on who you said you are and how I've experienced you in the past. They knew his voice. As of, in fact, John 27, John 27, my sheep hear, my sheep listen for and to, my sheep know my voice. So how do we get to learn someone's voice? Well, we have to spend time with him. I remember the first time I called my wife, she didn't recognize my voice. But after dating for six, seven months, what I would call, she didn't just know my voice, but she knew if I was feeling good or bad, if I was tired. How does that happen? And we spent hundreds and hundreds of hours together, listening, talking, paying attention. You remember you who are, are, are married or uh, in a committed relationship when you uh, uh, <clears throat> were like in those first couple of months, everything the other person said was brilliant. Like, wow, she's amazing. Oh, my gosh, she's a genius. That <laughs> didn't last long, but... Uh, but we spend time listening. And, guys, the more time you and I spend listening for his voice, the more we know his voice, and the quicker we are uh, to really understand it. As a young marriage counselor, I discovered that over time, over time, and I, I was young in the marriage counseling work, that the conversations of most married couples are dialogues of the deaf. Dialogues of the deaf are conversations between two people who don't listen to each other. And then I had this aha that much of my Christian life, it was a dialogue of the deaf. I mean, I was talking to God. I had my uh, shopping list, my complaints. I, I would talk to God. I would talk at God. But I had to learn how to slow down, to wait, to be still, to listen, reflect, to spend more time listening to God than yakking at God. See, if the sheep just make noise all the time, they'll never hear or learn the voice of the shepherd. And my sheep hear my voice. If I don't spend time listening to him and being still with him, I'll never learn his voice. Listening is a discipline. 
It's a spiritual discipline. It's a holy habit. And listening is so countercultural. And sometimes my conversations with God are still dialogues at the death. I've had so many, actually thousands of couples literally over the last several decades who've come in. You know, oftentimes, once one party or, or both, but even one, learns to listen. What's it like when you know someone's listening to you, when you know they actually care about what you're saying? There's much more freedom. You can go deeper. You can really get to, to know each other. This week, what might it look like for us to practice listening to God and maybe to each other? Okay, verse 21. Then they were willing to take him to the boat, come on in, Jay, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Okay, great passage, but so what? I mean, hopefully you've gotten some new insights on this passage, you've gotten some information, and hopefully you've had a wee bit of uh, inspiration. But here's the deal. Information and inspiration without application leads to frustration and desperation. But when we add application, information and inspiration plus application leads to hope and joy and growth. You see, when they realized it was Jesus, when they recognized his voice, when they welcomed him, that's when things began to change. Passage in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, But fixing your eyes on Jesus, fixing your eyes on Jesus, God wants us to be aware of our problems, but not to focus or dwell on them. You see, sometimes in the dark, it's easy to doubt. We all do it. But over several decades now of walking with Jesus, I've learned that never, ever doubt in the dark what you learn to trust in the light. Never doubt in the dark what you're going to trust in the light. Here's some application. And these are things that I use in my life when I'm kind of down and kind of struggling. Number one, who is he? Say, who is he? He's God. He's God the Son. He's the Creator. What has he promised? He's promised, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He said, though I'm with you always, I'll supply all your needs. I want to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all the asteroid things. And God's promises to us go on and on and on. Does everything have to make sense to me? No. Sometimes we have to step out of the boat. Sometimes we have to move on based on what we do understand and trust him what we don't understand. When I was told I had less than three months to live at MD Anderson in Houston, go home and call hospice, that that was it. I had a choice. I, 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 I believed that that might be true, and uh, I, I went home, I put things in order. I was told I was less than three months to live. That was 11 years ago. But I said, God, if you have more, then I'm all in. I mean. I wouldn't mind going home. I'm, I'm ready. I've got a lot of my family up there waiting for me. But I believe I can trust you. It's amazing what happens when uh, we move out with what we do understand. Because not everything has to make sense. And the last one, can he be trusted? Can he be trusted? Do we believe he's a promise maker or a promise keeper? And my friends, tonight, tomorrow... This week, you and I are going to have some opportunities to hop in the wheelbarrow, to get out of the boat like Peter did, and, or to kind of stay in that focus on the darkness and the what-ifs. It's always a choice. We need to stay aware of our problems. And one thing I love about Scripture is the Bible never tells us to go to some la-la land and pretend that everything's fine when it's not. That, that's not faith, that's stupidity. That, that's blindness, okay? The Bible says we need to be aware of and acknowledge our problems and in the midst of them, that he is there, that he will show up. And our job is to be faithful. My job is not to have the answers. I can't see the future, but to believe that my God will keep his word. I mean, look at everything the disciples had heard 
and the first one seen Jesus see and do. I mean, they, they, they saw him feed 5,000 people. And, um, and yep, and yep, they so doubted. The key is to remember who we are because of whose we are. When we turn our eyes on Jesus, when we choose to believe he's with us, when we choose to fix our eyes on him, when we choose to remember his promises, to be aware of what's going on around us, yeah, but choose courage. Again, courage doesn't happen to choose courage, to fear not, to fret not, to faint not. Say, God, I don't like what's going on. This isn't fun. But I thank you that you have said that I am more than a conqueror. And that will happen because you can't keep your words. Thank you that you want to do exceedingly abundant beyond all I ask or think. And again, the list goes on and on. You see, Christianity is not wind sprints. It's cross-country. Christianity is not wind sprints. It's cross-country. And it's over time that we learn and grow and have the joy that God promises. Let's uh, look at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. I'm, I'm going to wrap with this tonight. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders, that slows us down, the sins, the doubts, the anxieties, the what-ifs, the focusing on the dark things that we don't always un understand. Let's throw off everything that hinders. There are things that this past week I've had to throw off because there are things that still come to my mind that hinder me. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance. Again, our faith is not wind sprints, it's cross country, eh? Run with endurance, the race marked out for us. And here it is, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Remembering who we are because of whose we are. Giving what we don't understand in light of what we do understand. And finding him again and again, as many of you have and I have so, so very faithful. And that's why we can have joy in the midst of, uh, of challenging times. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So this week, what might it look like for you and me eh, to fix our eyes on Jesus? Just, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for a sec? What might it look like to cast your tears on him and say, you know, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you are a promise keeper. Thank you, God, that I don't have to understand everything. That it doesn't all have to make sense. But that you have promised to never leave me or forsake me. You promised to supply all my needs. You made it clear again and again and again that your heart is that I be and become more than a conqueror. And so, God, I thank you for your presence in me and around me and in this place. And God, this week, this week, help me to find creative ways to fix my eyes upon you and to take courage. And I thank you, God, what will come out of that faithfulness. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.
Father, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. Father, help us to trust what we've seen in the light when we're in the dark places, Father. God, we love you. We pray these things in your name, amen. Church, what a great night of worship. Thank you, Dr. Gary Oliver, for being here. It was a privilege to have you. Um, Hey, if you are a college student in the room, we are having some events coming up in the near future. So if you would love to be a part of what's going on. Please connect with some of our, we'll have our college uh, intern out here, Chaney, she'll be down front. Um, Come find some of our staff and we'll make sure to get you connected in what we're doing. Can we stand and say this as we prepare our hearts to go? Let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And the people said, we'll see you next week, church.